I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. This is the Don't Be Crazy Movie Podcast. This is a show for film fans of all shapes, sizes, backgrounds, and tastes. On this show, I enlist help from fellow film enthusiasts to discuss what makes certain movies good or bad. We're by no means experts, but instead, we are just big-time cinema fans who love to talk our butts off. I am your host, Zach Rancourt, and with me today is Amanda Jane Stern. Amanda, so great to have you on the show. How are you? I am good. It's great to be here. I am excited to talk about uh, this special movie. Oh, special is a good word. But before <laughs> we jump into this special movie, can you please introduce yourself? You know, who are you? Where are you from? What's your background? And when did you get into film? Yeah, so I am a Brooklyn-based uh, writer, actor, producer. I actually started acting when I was nine. Um, I made my first feature film. I acted in indie features, a little TV through childhood, took off when I went to college, and then um, got into writing, graduated and got right back into the industry. So I've, you know, been been acting my whole life. I have been in a horror film before. Uh, oh, yeah, it was on Lifetime. It's about Amish witches. Oh, it's called whoa. Amish witches. <laughs> whoa, that sounds amazing. Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun to film. Very, very fun. Great vacation. Um, and yeah, so New York based. That's so cool. Yeah. So what out of all the work that you've done, TV, film, what has been your favorite um, favorite venture that you, you've you jumped into? Uh, oh, that has to be the feature film that I have in post right now. And by post, I mean, we are one week away from finishing our sound mix. So really, wow. really, really, really close to being done, submitting to festivals now. But that was uh, – my director likes to describe it as a three-day fever dream. Uh, not that I was sick, <laughs> just that I wrote it in three days and texted the the actor I wrote it for, hey, buddy, want to make a movie? And he said yes. So, uh, <laughs> But it's an erotic thriller that I wrote during the pandemic and then we shot – in the summer, also during the pandemic, and I also produced it and I starred in it. So that was kind of the big, crazy, you know, do all the things thing. And that movie is called Perfectly Good Moment, and we will discuss that at the end. I want to I want to tease everybody uh, because we're going to get into our actual movie that we're going to talk about now. So <laughs> save all that good juju for the end, and we'll we'll jump into it. So we are going to be discussing, and I let Amanda pick this one. This is actually a movie I thought I had seen, but somewhere in my brain I was like, wait, I haven't seen this movie. It is The Haunting from 1999, and this has a very murky past. So to clarify, this one w was the film that was directed by Jan de Bont, and he did Twister, Speed, and Speed 2, like three of some of my favorite movies ever from when I was a kid. I love Twister. <laughs> and it was written, um, so it's based on the novel by Shirley Jackson, and, I, and I'm hoping Amanda can go more into that when we start talking, but... 
uh, based on the novel by Shirley Jackson called The Haunting of Hill House. Is that correct? The Haunting of Hill yep. House. Uh, and the screenplay for The Haunting, it was adapted by David Self. And he's famous for most uh, most um, famously, he wrote uh, The Road to Perdition screenplay, which is a fantastic film. And we've covered it on the Don't Be Crazy podcast. If you haven't seen that, ep- listen to that episode, check it out. So The Haunting stars Liam Neeson, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Owen Wilson, Lily Taylor, who's amazing, Bruce Stern, Marion Seldes, uh, Alex Karamze, and Todd Field. Uh, for critical reception, this movie, it didn't do too well. <laughs> IMDb has a 5 out of 10, so 50%, which is failing. And ooh, the tomato meter is pretty terrible for it. So the critics gave it a 17% in Rotten Tomatoes. The audience only barely did better. They were at 27% audience score. So the audience and the critics overall don't like this. However, Rotten Tomatoes is just a bunch of nerds on computers. It's not the actual boots on the ground type of people like us. So I'm hoping we can have a discussion today and that might change my mind or who knows? We'll see what happens. So I watched this movie on Amazon Prime. It is streaming on Amazon Prime in the US. It's also on Paramount Plus and it's also on Epics. What did you watch it on, Amanda? Also Amazon, but I checked back this morning. It just came down. Oh, no. What a it's tragedy. Still there. It's still there to <laughs> rent. But yeah, it literally just came down today. It oh, must no. have been midnight. <laughs> I'm going to write a letter, an angry letter to Jeff Bezos <laughs> and tell him to put it up there, damn it. We want our, our Catherine Zeta-Jones and our Liam Neeson back. Oh, I have so much to say about Catherine Zeta-Jones' character in this movie. <laughs> oh, Theo. So much. Woo. So, so yeah. much. <laughs> lots, lots to say. Yes, that's what I like to hear. So the budget for this movie was $80 million, which is insane. And in 99, that's like $160 million now. Um, it grossed in the US and Canada $91.4 million. Opening weekend on July 25th, 1999, so a summer blockbuster, it did $33.4 million. And overall, worldwide, this film grossed $177.3 million. So for all intents and purposes, it was decently successful, which is crazy how people hated, didn't like it, and it still was this successful. There were a few fun facts from this film that I could find, and uh, if you if you have IMDb or you know what IMDb is, just go to it, search the trivia, and read because it's awesome. So Stephen King actually wrote the first draft of the script, but when this fell through, he reworked it into Rose Red. Are you a Stephen King fan, Amanda? Um, not necessarily. Not a not fan. Just kind of. It honestly. I didn't used to be into horror when I was younger. It kind of took me a while. I was more into, I mean, that's not true. When I was younger, I was really only into um, grounded horror, like serial killer horror. And I, I couldn't handle anything supernatural. And then I got older and now I love horror. So <laughs> I'm sort of just kind of going back and really going over the classics and everything. Love it. Yeah, me too. I'm I, I was a little scaredy cat when I was a when I was a kid and I remember my brother was watching Scream, which is now one of my favorite films of all time. But at, at you know, whatever age I was, the tender age of ten, I yeah. was terrified of it and I was crying and I just I you know, tattletailed on my on my brother and I told my mom, I was like, Hey, he's watching a scary movie. So I got him in trouble and I was thought I was the coolest guy in the world. But jokes on <laughs> on me. I, I love horror films, so very yeah, cool. I total wimp as a kid, too. <laughs> we all were. <laughs> so like I was saying, this isn't a remake of Robert Wise's classic uh, 1963 film, The House of on Haunted. 
real? Nope, still the just Huntington called the haunting. The haunting. <laughs> there is a 1958 oh, House on Haunted Hill, which the the 99 House on Haunted Hill is also not a remake of, just another movie with the same title. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> in a similar twist, both with House on Haunted Hill and The Haunting, the originals are great movies and the remakes are um you know they're movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, they're movies. Okay, well, yeah, so that's where I got confused. So apparently, though, um, there the original the production company did not have the remake rights, so they were not allowed to replicate even one shot from the 1963 film. So for this 99 movie, they were not allowed to replicate at least one shot from the 63 film. Instead, it's a new adaptation of Shirley Jackson's novel. But I again never read the novel. Well. So. That's really confusing, though, because I have seen the 63 movie, and I, I think it's a great movie. There are a lot of copied shots. <laughs> really? Yeah, and I mean, it's also because it's it's things that are being pulled directly from the book. So, you know, there's shots that you also see in the Netflix adaptation, which is a very, very loose adaptation, but the, the thing with the spiral staircase and the in the garden, those are very noticeable shots in the original movie. Mm, okay. Yeah, I'm uh, not done with The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. I'm like on episode eight. I just took a long time to, to watch it. I started it months ago and just didn't finish it, but I've heard it's great. So I've seen it three times. <laughs> Whoa, okay. I think that works then. It has the stern stamp of approval, so I'll definitely have to jump <laughs> on that. I love it, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So like you were saying, the second adaptation of the book was going to be titled The Haunting of Hill House, which was the original novel title. It was shortened back to The Haunting to avoid confusion with House on Haunted Hill in 1999. And so like you were saying, both The Haunting, this movie we're doing now, and House on Haunted Hill, which starred Tay Diggs, Ali Larder, and uh, Jeffrey Rush, that came out in 99 as well. So one of those classic cases of two very similar movies coming out around the same time. No clue why it did that. You know, Independence Day, Deep Impact, that kind of whole thing. So very fascinating. And then finally, Steven Spielberg was so disgusted by the quality of the final product of the film that he removed his name and ensured that the credit made no single mention of him. So Steven Spielberg was tied to this movie. And not many people know that. And I don't blame him. <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, burnt <laughs> pizza is still pizza. So I mean, it's a movie, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Is it so, or is it a theme park ride? Uh, I would, I, you know, it's a really bad theme park ride. I feel like I've seen, <laughs> I feel like at Disneyland, the Haunted Mansion has better effects than this movie, but. Yes, yes. The, when I made my fiance rewatch it, he called it the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> Meh. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love to hear it. So here is a synopsis for anyone who has not seen The Haunting, and this is a spoiler synopsis, so fast forward, I don't know, a couple minutes. I'll try to read fast. Eleanor Nell Vance, an insomniac, has cared for her invalid mother for or invalid mother for 11 years, sharing a Boston apartment with her. After her mother dies, Nell's sister Jane and her husband Lou inherit the residence. They eject... I think I'm supposed to say evict. <laughs> they eject <laughs> Nell to prepare for a sale. As she faces homelessness, Nell accepts an invitation to participate in an insomnia study by Dr. David Morrow of, at Hill House, a secluded manor house in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts. At the house, she meets Mr. and Mrs. Dudley, an eccentric pair of caretakers. Two other participants 
guests arrive, Luke Sanderson and the glamorous Theodora, or Theo, along with Dr. Marrow and his two research assistants. Unknown to, be, to the participants, Dr. Marrow's true purpose is to study the psychological response to fear, intending to expose his subjects to terror. During their first night, Dr. Marrow relates the uh, story of Hill House. Its original owner, Hugh Crane, a 19th century textile tycoon, constructed the rambling home for his wife, Renee, hoping to populate it with a large family. Unfortunately, all of Crane's children were stillborns, and Renee, devastated by the multiple losses, killed herself. Crane became a recluse. Morrow's assistant is severely wounded in a freak accident, and both researcher, research assistants leave for the hospital. Supernatural events begin happening, and Nell sees the ghost of the children. A large portrait of Hugh Crane is vandalized with the words, Welcome home, Eleanor, written in blood. Theo and Luke accuse Nell, claiming she is seeking attention. Nell becomes determined to prove that the house is haunted. She finds Crane's hidden office and learns that he ex extensively used child labor in his cotton mills. He tortured and killed several orphans in his home. Then he burned their bodies in the fireplace. She surmises in or that these children's spirits are trapped in the house, uh, providing Crane with an eternal family. Crane had a second wife named Carolyn, uh, from whom Nell is descended. Dr. Marrow is skeptical of Nell's claims and soon reveals his true fear study to the group. But after a statue tries to drown him, he realizes Hill House is haunted. Nell reveals that she is related to Carolyn Crane and must help the children to move on to the afterlife. Dr. Marrow demands that everyone leave Hill House, but Hugh Crane's ghost traps them inside. Luke defaces a portrait of Crane, enraging his spirit to decapitate Luke. When Crane himself manifests Dr. Marrow and Theo hide in the house while Nell distracts him, I didn't pause on that, realizing that he thrived on the fear he created in children, Nell declares she is not afraid of them. Her, de her declaration weakens the ghost, and he is cast into a decorative bronze door depicting distressed children in a purgatory-like scene. He drags Nell with him, but the spirits release her, and she dies. Nell's soul, along with those of the freed children, rise to heaven. The following morning, Dr. Marrow and Theo meet the Dudleys at the front gate, where Mr. Dudley asks the doctor if he found out what he wanted to know. Dr. Marrow and Theo leave without saying a word and leave Hill House behind. Thank you for that Wikipedia. That's where I got it from. Uh, it's, a, it's a doozy that, uh, that kind of <laughs> doesn't really even describe what happened. But let's nope. jump right into it. So, Amanda, I'd like to start out by discussing the original 1963 film. Okay. It was called The Haunting, right? The yes, original it was. One is, okay, the original 1963 film, The Haunting, and the follow-up adaptations, all of them, um, based on Shirley Jackson's novel. It seems mm -hmm. to be a much beloved and adapted story that had been taken in so many diff different directions. How many iterations of The Haunting of Hill House or The Haunting have you seen? And do you have any favorites? Yeah, so I have seen The 63, The 99, and The Netflix, and I know the book. Um, I don't know other adaptations. I'm sure there are. I am a fan of the original House on Haunted Hill movie, which is not at all related to The Haunting of Hill House. I, but I do think that they named it that because that movie came out in 58. It stars Vincent Price. I do recommend it. And I think the Shirley Jackson novel was 56. So I do think that they wanted to kind of capitalize off of that. It is set in a scary mansion, um, but it isn't connected. Uh so as far as Hill House adaptations go, the 63 movie is great. And I am in love with the Netflix series. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy the 99. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've only, 
I was I was fascinated more so after watching this movie and being like, oh, okay, they're using names like Theo and Nell and stuff. And and while I was simultaneously watching the house or the haunting of Hill House on Netflix, I was like, oh, this is based off of that. Or there's some correlation between it and uh, or like the last name Crane. I thought that that was so fascinating, but that's about as far as my knowledge goes with it. <laughs> I did see House on Haunted Hill, the 99 version, a long time ago. It's available on HBO Max, uh, streaming for free. I don't know if I can recommend that movie because when I saw it, it was pretty terrible. But I also like bad movies. So oh, me too. Who, who, who knows, right? Chris Kattan is in that movie. He's awesome. <laughs> I think that the House on Haunted Hill 99 has like no relation to the other one whatsoever, just a name. Um, because isn't it set in like a theme park? I I thought it, well, I don't remember. I thought that they all got like a million dollars if they stayed the night in the house. Yes, but it's a, but it's a theme park, not a mansion, I think. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, I believe you're, you're right. It's, it's some sort of, it has like theme park stuff in it, like booby traps that are, yeah. you know, carnival ride style. It, it it was so it was like a fever dream, basically. But um, yeah, it's it's very odd. Yeah, the the 58 is a group of people who get invited to spend the night in an allegedly haunted house by Vincent Price and his wife. And they're, you know, this eccentric couple, um, which that that genre of people get invited to spend the night in a haunted house and who survives kind of thing. I love that genre so much. Uh, yeah. The old dark house. But um, yeah, the, those two have nothing in common. But then, yeah, so I guess because the 58 movie used House on Haunted Hill as a title when they were making the 1963 movie directed by Robert Wise, they probably decided, hey, yes, we are actually an adaptation of the Shirley Jackson novel, but... If we call ourselves that, then people are going to confuse us with the Vincent Price movie. Okay, I feel like that I would need, be my guess. I need one of those detective boards and just put up a bunch of pictures and strings and all this kind of stuff, just to <laughs> be so like, what confusing. is going on? Who is who? And the characters, like the Theo in in this movie, the Theo in the Haunting is way different than Theo in um, the Haunting of Hill House. Or God, I'm going to. Always, I'm going to keep getting this confused. The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Like that Theo well, not, is different slightly than this one. So, yeah. And in, in many ways, I mean, obviously the real characters in the Shirley Jackson book are not related. Like they are in the Netflix show. But I would say that the Theo in the Netflix show is a little more in line with Shirley Jackson's idea of Theo than this... Um, aggressive predatory bisexual that's a good way to put it <laughs> i i didn't know i like Catherine zeta jones and and i was like what is going on i feel all this sexual tension between her and nell and i'm like is she gonna make a move on her like what what kind of movie are we watching right now it was it, I, I didn't get it yeah. nothing happened <laughs> and it's because so in the book which again is from the 50s theo uh, the, the character names are all the same, but Theo is an early, like openly lesbian character in a book from the 50s. Wow. So when you watch the 1963 movie, it is also explicit there. She's not predatory or creepy. She's a great <laughs> yeah. character. She yeah. doesn't come on to Nell, but there is a moment where Nell, who is very much kind of an outsider, even among a group of weirdos, 
you know, gets this vibe, this like, are you trying to? And Theo's like, get over yourself. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's um, that's pretty brazen and bold. I dig it. In, in yeah. the novel, to write that in the 50s for your character? Hell yeah. I dig so it. So that's okay. why, you know, turning her into this very predatory, you know, can't commit bisexual, which is not only so many um, <laughs> bad stereotypes about bisexuals, but it also negates the fact that she is canonically a lesbian. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And 99 wasn't very kind. I mean, the 90s in general weren't very kind to stereotypes. So, um, no. yeah, I could I could see how they, they kind of, you know, botched that one a little bit. Just a tad. Just a tad. <laughs> Just a tad. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, on many accounts, the original, it was it was utterly terrifying. So that both the 63, the haunting and then the haunting of Hill House, they were both utterly terrifying for those viewers who, who watched it uh, during that time. Nothing like that had been done before. Um, it was shock and awe, right? So have you ever seen a film that has just completely shook you to the core? And then also, what films in all of film history would you love to have been in theaters for when it came out? So Time Machine takes you back. You go back, for example, to see Psycho in the 60s, and you're in the theaters. Like, that's a great example. Are there other that movies was that, mine. that you... Oh, well, we can totally expand on that. I apologize for taking that as an example. But, it's but okay. Yeah, we're, can, you, uh, can you think of any any movies that kind of like shook you to the core and then anytime you could go back in time and watch X amount of films in theaters? Mm-hmm. Well, totally actually shook me is another 1960s adaptation of a book, uh, which funnily enough is another book that Mike Flanagan turned into a TV show for Netflix. But uh, The Innocents, which I mm. think is from 61 with Deborah Carr. Um, it's an adaptation of the turn of the screw. It's another gothic horror. So it's the idea that, right. you know, you don't know if the ghosts are real or if it's the deteriorating mental state of the main character. And this was a movie that it did not have a high budget. So to make all of the scares, it just relied on, on camera tricks and on using, um, like, scratched lenses to fog up the yeah it just did weird things with the lenses they were using to make it circular or creepy or that you know you'd have blind spots in your vision because the lens was fractured wow that's so, so fascinating and it's always the sense that it's just creeping up on you and that there's something even when you're watching it out of the corner of your eye that you never know so that you're really getting into the the state of the main character Mm -hmm. And it's so creepy and it really, it sticks with you. Um, but yeah, movie, if I could go back in time and see in theaters would be Psycho. And it's not my favorite Hitchcock, actually not by far. Um, mm -hmm. But the reason, and this is the dorkiest answer I am <laughs> going to say is that because up until Psycho came out, um, and we're not talking Hayes Code here. We're talking other things. Uh, <laughs> up until Psycho came out, when you went to see a movie in the theaters, you could just show up at the theater at any time. So you could go. You could pay for a ticket. You could go in in the middle of a movie. The movie would end. You'd stay. There'd be newsreels, shorts, uh, another feature, an A feature, a B feature. But when Psycho came out, Hitchcock said, you come at the beginning of the movie and then the doors close and we will not let anyone in. And that set, well, I mean, not only a new precedent, but that, you know, is one of the first things that people were terrified 
in the theater because they came in and they stayed from the beginning. I mean, it was also the movie that kills off its it's who you think is your female protagonist in the first act. Yeah. <laughs> so it just broke so many rules. And again, it's not even my my favorite of Hitchcock's films. I prefer, you know, Vertigo or Shadow of a Doubt or I love Rope. I think it's amazing. It's so funny. Um, but just because what of what Psycho did in terms of how we see movies in theaters, that would be the one. That's a great choice. And I'm sorry for bursting or for not bursting your bubble, but, you know, ruining the big the big surprise. But yeah, I, I can't say enough great things about Psycho. And I'm with you. I, I love Hitchcock, but it's a newer. It's funny because it's a newer kind of renaissance for me for Hitchcock where I knew of him, but I didn't really watch his movies until I saw Rear Window and I was blown away. And and that is a damn near perfect movie. I love Rear Window. It's, it's my favorite of his easily. Um, but with Psycho, what it did you're absolutely right. That deception where the first act, first third of the movie, you're following Marion Crane and you're like, huh, what, like what's going on? Is, is she going to get away with this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then Sam Loomis too. a little fun fact, like uh, her husband, Sam Loomis is the same name as Dr. Loomis in, in Halloween. Um, yep. So like fun callbacks on that. And anyways, what they did for this movie to to be so terrifying and the elements of using chocolate syrup to make it, you know, make the blood. And this was the first film to actually show a toilet on yep. screen, I guess, being flushed. Yeah. It's one is- of the two films uh, with the most credit as what officially destroyed the Hayes Code, even though yeah. it had been weakening, you know, the decade yeah. prior. If you look at like some some like it hot that said that didn't pass the Hayes Code and they said, well, we don't care. Yeah. So. Long hair don't care. But it definitely... You, you know, for everything you're saying, it, it's it was such a groundbreaking movie and it still really holds up. Some of the camera work is incredible and it's pretty terrifying if you really think about it. That huge twist of like, holy shit, you know, and spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen a movie from the 60s, <laughs> but Norman Bates is the killer. His mom has been dead the entire time. That is a great example. Yeah, if you were to go back in theaters and with the pageantry and the pomp and circumstance that Hitchcock put into the theaters, Mm -hmm. um, they also announced they'd say 15 minutes till psycho time and then they'd say 14 minutes till psycho time and so on and so forth. That is awesome. And I'm a huge fan of that pageantry when I go to the cinema. I am too. And the ads that they put in newspapers were also, you know, the scariest thing you'll ever see, an event like no other and that's just, it's brilliant. And it was, it was an event like no other. Yeah. Gosh, that's so cool. It makes, gets me all excited. Like I right? love, I, I love going to the movies. And uh, one of my favorite things is I go to the movies by myself uh, just because if some people don't want to go, I'm like, that's fine. I get an, a giant screen and I'll go hang out with some people, you know, and I've seen some amazing films just by myself. Um, it's, it's such a, such a fun experience, but yeah, so I'm thinking like that one. A lot of Wes Craven movies would be interesting because, you know, oh, like Last yeah. House on the Left and the, and the Hills Have Eyes. Both of those were so incredibly disturbing or like yep. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, I, mean, I love that movie so much. So do I. But it makes me like, we were talking before we were recording, like certain movies kind of just yeah. are gross and they make me feel, feel ill at the end of the day. And I'm just like, oh, my God, rewatching the original Texas Chainsaw. It's just a gross movie. Oh, it's, you know it is. I mean? But it's also beautiful the the production design it's like a macabre museum when you (laughs) walk into the house it really is yeah you're spot on with that it's 
it's so visceral and you just feel yeah. like, oh God, where are we? And and again, what's up with the houses? It, it, it's taught us a lot about I'm never going to, even if I break down, I'll just walk the 20 miles instead of getting a ride from a stranger sort of thing. And Oh yeah. Oh. Well, I have to say one of the things that really got me into horror movies actually is there's this book uh, that I read back in my first year of college called Men, Women, and Chainsaws. It's... <laughs> <laughs> it's written by a professor named uh, Carol J. Clover. It's kind of like this feminist psychoanalytic breakdown of exploitation horror films. And it it's probably some of the best research ever done. You know, I think it is in a way to it's the the book that uh, coined the term final girl. So it is to the slasher film and, and horror films in general, what the celluloid closet is to queer cinema. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm, I'm definitely going to add that to my, um, my library list to see if it is available it's because that so would be good. awesome. That sounds fantastic. Speaking of final girls, do you have any, any, uh, great final girls, like ones that you like the most? Um, sorry huh. to put you on the spot like this. No, <laughs> Well, I mean, I do, but I'm trying to think of something that's an answer that's not as like basic and cliche as what's coming to mind right now. <laughs> eh, I mean, but but I'm gonna go with Scream. Yeah. Oh, Sydney, Sid, she's so great. Oh my god, Nev Campbell's amazing. I also just like how it plays with the script that you already know. That movie has is so smart, and and it's it's meta yet it does exactly what mm-hmm. it's trying to make fun of. Um, but I I could talk hours about Scream. It's 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 so wonderful. Um, it's Kevin so Williamson did such a great job writing it, and I, yeah, it's 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 in the annals of film history as like one of the greatest. So yeah, that's a great one. Sydney Prescott is fantastic. What about like Laurie Strode in Halloween? Yeah, but I always feel like here's my thing with Halloween. I think it has really really good buildup, and then the ending kind of feels a little rushed to me and then a bit like a cop-out. Fair enough. Yeah, I could totally see that. Here's my thing with slashers. I I don't love when the same person doesn't die. It gets a little tiresome to me. It's a little like, oh, it's a zombie. Can you just go already? Like, oh, you're back. (laughs) What's the point? Might as well just die myself because... This is not going to be a fun life killing, you know, Mike Myers 10 times over. Yeah. But yeah. I think I think it is amazing build up. Um, and then when she finally starts to fight back, great. But then it just stops. And I really and this this does go to my I want my final girl to go for the final kill. You overkill. This stalker is coming after you. You beat the shit out of him. Make sure he is dead. Yeah. And then make sure he's dead some more. <laughs> double tap shoot them twice in the head burn yeah. their body cut their head off all those and things and I, I watched a movie recently it wasn't a slasher movie but where that did happen and I was just so happy shooting at, shouting at the screen at the at the screen because they did so many things that when I am watching movies where women end up in these situations and I'm like girl do this do the logical <laughs> thing and they did that in this movie and I was it was so much fun yeah Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And that's why that was so fun with Scream where she's like, you know, Randy's like, careful, this is the part when the killer comes up, like, and you think he's dead and she shoots him. She's like, not in my movie. And I'm like, fuck, yeah, yeah, Sydney, get it, girl. Exactly. You that's the final girl I want who just gets fed up with that man's bullshit. 
Oh, so much. I think, <laughs> and I and I totally spaced on this one, but I think one of my favorite characters in film of all time is Ellen Ripley. Um, so I, I think yep. her a, as a final girl, and especially in Aliens, when she's like, get away from her, bitch. It's just so badass. I, exactly. I she's fed I up with it. their bullshit. Exactly. Yeah. Totally love it. So sweet. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> So, so you are a writer. Um, how hard is it to adapt screenplays from source material? What would you have changed in Amanda's version of The Haunting? I'm giving you carte blanche to, to adapt The Haunting. What are you going to do? Yeah, I, well, for starters, I've never really worked on an adaptation. I, I generally just work from my own, whatever crazy things pop into my head. Um, <laughs> and I'm not. I love adaptations and I'm not opposed to remakes. And I think the issue when you're adapting something like Hill House is we have such a good original movie that to just follow the story faithfully, which is for the most part what the original movie does, yes, it makes changes, but to really follow the narrative structure and the story how do you not feel derivative of the movie that already came out? And it's the same thing that happened with Rebecca that Hitchcock made Rebecca in 1940. And then a year or two ago, we got that terrible remake on Netflix with um, a certain alleged cannibal and Lily James. And it was horribly misguided for so many reasons, but you're constantly comparing the new version that's just following the exact same script to the previous one. Um, whereas I think because Mike Flanagan, he was for Netflix working on a, a longer form thing. It's a nine episode series. He really had to change the story. So instead of it being, and why don't I go ahead and actually say what the original plot is, is that it's a doctor who's studying the paranormal invites a bunch of people to come stay over at this house called Hill House that is known for being haunted. And he invites people who have had experiences with the paranormal. And the only two people who take up the invitation are Theo, uh, who has ESP and is a bohemian lesbian artist, and Nell Vance, who is bitter from taking care of her invalid mother, um kind of on the verge of a mental breakdown, has had experiences with the paranormal and you kind of find out throughout the novel that maybe she is telekinetic so that the things going on in the haunting, while there are definitely ghosts, are also possibly being exacerbated by her, whether intentionally or subconsciously. And it's kind of like this symbiotic, the house and the and her own mental state feeding off of each other. And then the Luke character, who Owen Wilson plays, isn't another guest. He is the heir to Hill House, and that's why they're able to rent this house. So they're going in knowing we're in a haunted house, and it's not this, like, bogus sleep study. Wow. Yeah, that's that's quite different, actually. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what the 63 movie is. So they're going in knowing that they're in a haunted house. And then... You know, what Mike Flanagan did is instead of it being these disparate people going into this haunted house, we still have the Dudleys, who are the caretakers, but it's a family and it it becomes this family trauma thing about mental illness and, you know, genetic mental illness and grief and how you process that. And so it, it pays tribute to the original story and uses the same characters' names and uses a lot of of 
character attributes from the original characters in the siblings and the parents. And obviously, you know, they named the dad Hugh Crane. Um, but it, it's a completely different storyline. And I think, yeah, that's what you have to do. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it, it's different when, when Netflix gives you 10 hours to play with as opposed to two hours, right? You have to mm-hmm. leave a lot on the cutting room floor. I imagine that I don't, you probably go through so many rewrites of, of your ideas that when you're putting pen to paper. Um, and so it's, I'm not a writer, so I'll never ever try to, to critique someone. I can, I can not like something, but I'm not going to be like, Oh, their writing is terrible. They're terrible writers. I mean, I might not like it, but it's still pretty damn good. And and if I can't think of a better way to adapt something, then I'll just I'll just zip my mouth. And with this one, I like the ideas they were playing around with. I just think the execution in general um, with a lot of behind mm-hmm. the scenes stuff just didn't really work. But I get what they were going with. And, and I think it had potential to be scary. But the 1999 haunting just really kind of missed the mark completely they were you know all the way left field on that one yeah there are ideas i like there but then when i think about the ideas i like it's just going back to what they took from the original story right which is what i the parts i like the the new things that they came up with i think are really foolish (laughs) yeah for sure goofy and they just don't make sense and also why is Hugh Crane so terrifying looking? Why does his portrait look like Mr. Hyde? And I don't mean Jekyll. I mean Hyde in the, the original Frederick March movie. Why does he look like Hyde? It's a terrible portrait. It is it very, like very, human. yeah, it's very unnerving. And it's like, what? And, and yeah, I would cut down 50% of the CGI. So the effects I- were out of control. <laughs> Um, the shrubs were, were weird. Their, their faces were really weird. Everything was crazy. Um, but I definitely would have toned all of that down and that mm-hmm. could have made a much you know darker film if you added more show, not tell. Yep. Uh, and, and I feel like the exposition was, was given to us via these, these terrible CGI things and all the scares were presented yes. right in our face instead of letting it build up and letting sound linger or subverting <laughs> our expectations. Then also all the answers just kind of, they just kind of come to Lily Taylor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's the like, oh shit, I know all this. <laughs> being like, they're randomly being a second wife who no one has ever heard of, even though there are portraits of her all over the house. Like, this is clearly <laughs> not a secret. And that she is a long lost descendant, I think is so dumb because then it it just makes it this really contrived story of we had to tie everything together versus the real idea that this is someone who who is going through a lot and in a fragile state being put in an environment that is bad for them and it's the two things working off of each other to create you know something that's about to blow yeah 100% um, I do want to talk about the CGI a little more, though. So, like, so Jan de Bont, he did Twister and Speed. Twister has obviously a lot of CGI, but it's it's warranted. And Twister, I will fight and die on this hill that that's like one of the coolest action movies I've seen in in 20, 30 years. Right? I love that movie. It always holds hold a special place in my heart. But in The Haunting '99, he uses so much CGI. It's ridiculous. It is. It it becomes a crutch instead of a tool. So. Yep. Why did he use so much of it? And how how did it help or hurt the film and his vision? I think it only hurt the movie. And what's crazy, he started as a cinematographer. So 
that alone makes me really want to say, I mean, when you watch the 63 version, it is all about the camera tricks and the music and the shadow that that makes it, you know, the impending dread. Here, there's so much CGI and it when the children's faces come up in the in the sheets and it looks like now the sheet is like this weird marble material because the CGI composting didn't match so the textures aren't right and then when Hugh Crane comes out of the porch or the fireplace and he's this huge smoke monster it's it's not scary to look at <laughs> at all monster. I mean I I think the souls going up to heaven at the end is really really goofy I'm that a lot of that goes to my when things are horror movies and they're religious, I tend to laugh because <laughs> it doesn't mean anything to me. I'm a Jew, you know. The <laughs> yeah. horror movies based in Christianity, I'm like, haha, whatever. I cackled at The Exorcist. Great movie, I, but oh. I cackled. <laughs> I I do not like The Exorcist. It is so boring. We did it on this show <laughs> last Halloween, and my buddy Steve, who has a horror podcast, he's like, I'm so mad at you that you didn't invite me to that show. He's like, it's one of my favorite horror movies, and I was like. Ugh, I don't know if I could talk about it again. It's so bad. But I actually you know really what? enjoy yeah. it. I It is long. I really, really enjoy it. I just don't find it scary in the least. It's not scary. It's, it's not. Neither gross. is the omen. It's silly. Yeah. Yeah. Any of the religious ones are interesting. He did recommend me this one called The Exorcism of God. It's a Spanish film. And he Ooh. said it's actually real creepy and disturbing. There are times when I see some of that, like the demonic possession stuff that gets a little creepy for me. But but even like those movies, you know, you're not relying on the CGI no. to, to be a crutch. And and when she's, you know, I lose it at so many, so many moments in this movie. But it's so much CGI. It's just. Yeah. Well, and she, I, and she fights off that eagle statue that's like trying to yep. attack her. Oh, my God. It's terrible. And I'm I'm trying like the movie came out in 99. I was watching movies in 99. I think you were watching movies in 99. We already saw better CGI. Yeah. The in Matrix. 99. <laughs> yeah. Like this isn't the beginning of CGI. It's almost 2000 at this point. You know, there were better things they could have done. And this just. None of it adds. None of it. The creepiest part is not any of the CGI things at all. Yeah, it's really not. You know, like uh, the mummy, the CGI doesn't hold up that well in that movie. But I mean, that movie uses it as a um, as a tool to -hmm. enhance the movie. Everything else was done, you know, practically for the most part. And in this movie, it just becomes too abhorrent because it's all over the place. And and I just, I, I don't get what they were trying to work with here. It just seems so lazy. It seemed like yeah. our movie's not good enough to be, uh, to, to, to rely on our actors and our, our story alone. Yeah, they, they did it because they could and not because it helped. <laughs> You're too busy uh, being preoccupied and wondering if you could that you didn't stop and think exactly. if you should. Mr. Exactly. <laughs> That's so exactly what happened here. Yeah, uh, life finds a way. <laughs> Jan DeBont finds a way. <laughs> my so my friend and avid listener of the podcast, uh, her name is Weezerface. That's her username. She's great. We always message back and forth. She noted that she was uh it was when I told her I was doing this movie The Haunting, she said she was terrified of the scene when Nell looks into the mirror and sees her face like really messed up and then looks at her belly and all of a sudden it grows and she's pregnant. She said that for some reason that just really scarred her as a child definitely spooky however 
me as a guy, I chuckled at it because I was so distracted by the ridiculous CGI and the choices that the characters are making. Ultimately, did this movie scare you, Amanda? Did it scare you at all? Or are we just so desensitized to violence and haunts that it seems like a stretch to make this story scary now? See, I'm not desensitized. I, I watched uh, Fresh on Hulu a few days ago, and that and that's not even a straight horror. It's a horror comedy, but the horror in that definitely got under my skin, and it's very unsettling, and I was very like, I am creeped out. I love it. I'm creeped out, though. This is just goofy, you know? And I, I can definitely see the pregnancy thing when you're a kid being scary, less because of it being you know, of it in the movie and more just kind of the idea of what it makes you think. But watching it, (laughs) all I could do, it's just goofy. It's so goofy. The decapitation part was so stupid. I'm like, oh, here we go. Like, who has a flume handle like that that's just like a giant lion head? Nobody. Like, it doesn't (laughs) feel like a house. It feels like... And I and and Theo says it. She describes it as um, like the monsters meets um. I forget that what that was, but it is, and that doesn't help. You know, it should it should feel like a gothic mansion that there's something beautiful and eerie about it. Whereas this never feels like something where people lived. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because that's that's a term I've been looking for is it didn't feel gothic enough for me. Not this, at all. This, this felt so bright and open and kind of, you know, when they're hopping between, between the floating books in the mirror room, I'm like, okay, so this is a fun house. Uh, I wanted it to be creepy. I didn't want it to look so gaudy. Like the rooms looked amazing. Everything was amazing. The entire time I'm watching it, I'm like, man, they must have like a 30 person staff to keep this place clean because this <laughs> is a lot of house. Just the two people. Just the two people. And... I wanted, yeah, I wanted the creepy. The, the, when I think of a, a haunted house, I think of mm-hmm. dilapidated. I think of, you know, wallpaper being ripped off, shutters like blowing in the wind. And so I wanted, you're absolutely right, that gothic feel. And I didn't get that. And it was too goddamn bright in this house. Mm-hmm. Give me some darkness, baby. It, it didn't make <laughs> me feel that there were ghosts hiding around the corners. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I want something that feels like it has a history that was lost in time that, you know, there were people here and something happened to them and, you know, you don't know what it was. And I, I, as I said, I love gothic horror. I love the idea of how it's the past blending into whoever is there in the present and how it's it's two different things kind of combining and, and you're wondering, is this house really haunted or is it, you know, this person kind of thinking up all these ideas because of the memories of this house, you know, and, and this house did not feel like that. It, it was just, I don't know what the decor was. It definitely wasn't what they were going for. I think they were just like, whatever looks kind of old, lots of velvet, lots of draping, lots of big chairs and doors that are massive and completely impractical. Do that. It was yeah. almost like a theme park's idea of a medieval castle. I like that comparison. You're that's you're right. It's it's it feels like a Disneyland slash Six Flags version of what yeah, the castle it, would be. It reminded me most of of what I'd see in one of those, you know, 1960s Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Absolutely. And I'm specifically thinking of um, the pit and the pendulum, but that and the raven as well. But that is what. And those are castles, and that's what they look like. It's this this weird medieval death trap that's also really, really red and really, really bright. It's very bright. Um, it's too bright. You, you mentioned uh, the shadow work in in the previous, in the original, um, and it did remind me. Uh, so do you know Nia DaCosta? Yeah. Uh, I mean, so not she, personally, but yes. <laughs> that'd be incredible. I'd be like, let's get her on the show. <laughs> uh, she's amazing. And, and so... The the most recent Candyman that came out uh, last year, I think, uh, mm-hmm. I loved it. A lot of people didn't like it for some reason, but I really like Candyman, the, the franchise, and I think it was so well done. And the use of shadows that she um, implements into this movie is so well, like, it's beautiful. And it, it scared the shit out of me, and I wanted more of that in a, in a movie like this, like The Haunting, where... We can yeah. be we can be more terrified of, of the things that go bump in the night because I live alone. And for me, sounds at night or, or when you double take or you're half tired and you're like, what the hell is that? That's what really gets my heart racing. Not not shrubs turning and looking at me and being like, hey, oh, you know, <laughs> so. yeah, because it's about what you don't know, Absolutely. not your pillow cushion turning into a weird child's face. <laughs> that was, oh, I forgot about that part. I was like, I was laughing. I was too busy. I should have, yeah. honestly, I, sh- I should have been really high to watch this movie. I was like thinking about that. I was like, oh my oh, God, I would love this would if I was really so... high. But I was, my goodness, I could not stand that. I, it was, I, I lost it. I'm like, what is no, going I know. on? <laughs> it's so, so, so stupid. And then also, <laughs> why does she have to, die at the end it doesn't make sense it makes sense why she dies in the original and i only think they did it here because they're like well she dies in the original so we have to do it again but it doesn't make any sense here she's let the children she's she's freed the weird children's souls and and trapped you know evil dr hyde in in hell doesn't make any sense and I, I wrote that in my notes. I'm like, wait a minute, she dies? That makes yeah. absolutely no sense. We, we followed her the entire way. She did not deserve to die. Uh, it really didn't enhance the story at all. It was very, very odd. Yeah, it just... And, and this was my second time watching it. And especially watching it again, that really stuck out as, wait, this is pointless. I know why she dies in the original. It makes a lot of sense. In this... <laughs> nope nope not, not at, at all. all just did it to do it okay uh real quick a a horror film uh haunted house horror film that i really enjoyed that came out in uh 2020 is called his house and it's on netflix it's directed oh, by remy Weeks. to watch that oh it's so good really so good? it yeah okay. sope dirisu and uh wumi Mos- mosaku are in it and uh wumi Mos- mosaku i can't pronounce her name i apologize she is in um she was in uh, lovecraft country and she was most recently okay. in loki she played a, a security guard and i forgot her name but she's oh, a revelation yes. in it um, so that is how you do a, a horror film about a house that's having issues because they give you just enough to be like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, holy crap, that's something supernatural and I'm terrified. So oh, I would like so to see something like that. Mm-hmm. Amazing haunted house movies. A lot of them are really old. I, I do have to watch his house because I've heard great things about it. But yeah, I there's so many that I absolutely love. I went through a whole f- period where I was watching 
basically anything in that kind of gothic from the this old dark house to the don't trust your husband gothic horrors and those are all <laughs> set in in a house that is it haunted or is it not haunted I love that. Don't trust your husband genre. <laughs> <laughs> I do I'm going to like, it's now I- implanted in my brain. So I appreciate that. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could recommend so many of them. <laughs> Hell yeah. Actually, Shadow of a Doubt by Hitchcock is, it's not really a don't trust your husband because it's don't trust your uncle, but they have a really weird relationship. So it's kind of considered a don't trust your husband. Yeah. The metaphorical uncle. We'll go over mm-hmm. that. Or husband. No, he's he's her real uncle. So in the movie, so the metaphorical husband, I guess. Husband, yeah, that's what I meant. So um, Owen Wilson, yeah. we talked about how he got de- decapitated. He plays Luke, <laughs> and he did get a bunch of flack for his poor casting. Uh, people are like, "Why Owen Wilson?" Um, I don't even think that he actually did that bad of a job. When all is said and done, I've you know I've never worked on a film, but I can imagine how difficult the casting process could be. Would you have replaced anyone in The Haunting 99 for actors of your choice? Who would they be? I don't even think that's the problem. I think it's it's the direction and the script. You know, I, I think a lot of the contrivances of why are they in this house don't make an end. And because they switched what the plot was to it being a sleep, a fake sleep study, you never really find out why Liam Neeson chose this house you know, if it's already known for being haunted versus it being a, you are in a haunted house and that's why I'm inviting you here. So I, I really think, and and my uh, director, the director who just directed my film, uh, who you know, Lauren mm-hmm. Greenhall, she always says that when you're watching a movie, if you're getting a bad performance from an actor a lot of that's that director's fault because they're the ones in the editing room choosing what takes to go with. They're telling the actor what to do. So if the actor's just not doing what they should be doing, then the director is probably directing them poorly. That's a good point. I'm and that if you had calling you out, this- Lauren, <laughs> <laughs> and that you know if you had directed this differently and had a different script, you probably could have gotten a different performance that fit more. You know, I, I don't think the role made any sense. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on again with that. It's the the roles were weird and it, yeah. it didn't really work. And like, I, yeah, like I said, you know, Luke Wilson is or uh, Luke Wilson. Owen Wilson <laughs> is, is fine. I actually counted how many times he said his, his classic catchphrase. Wow. Wow. Um, he said five wows and he said one meow. He goes meow. Yes, uh, about I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like. Oh yeah, he does do this, doesn't he? It was uncomfortable. He's a uh, he's a guy. It's 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 you know it's Owen Wilson. It's Mister yeah, yeah Yeah. So uh, I uh, I don't know if I could recast it in '99 with anybody else because you, you're 100 percent right. Everyone did fine. Um, it's just a matter of they didn't have much to work with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know who played that part in the '63. And of course, as I said in the 63, the character isn't just a random insomniac, but it's it's the guy who actually is inheriting the house. And he's his aunt is the one who owns it, and she's elderly, so she has him go to this because she is not really mobile. Um, Russ Tamlin, is, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, from West Side Story? Yep, that's who. Yeah, he plays Riff. Yep. Yeah. Um, very, very interesting in, choice. When, yeah, but then he also later... Did Twin Peaks? Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was he's in Twin Dr. Peaks. Dr. Jacoby. 
Oh man, I love Twin Peaks. So it's it's not that you can't have a character actor in that role because he is definitely a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. And 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 Owen can transition. This movie just, I don't know. They might have underutilized him or overutilized him. But again, like you're saying, it's it's up to the director to kind of figure that out. And yeah. I, I I think the production behind the scenes, they were there were so many issues that they were like, well, you just go ahead and. Take this, I just feel please. like all the characters were in different movies. They were. <laughs> they really were. Like Theo was in a sexploitation, like 70s softcore porno. Ooh. That's that's what they were writing for her, which, you know, I, I actually could talk a lot about those 70s movies. I find them fascinating, but that is not what, what Theo should be in at all. No, not <laughs> Very at all. wrong for that character. Nell is like She's never a human to begin with. She is yeah. always so strange that she's just she never approaches things the way a person would approach them. And it makes more sense in the original than it does here. Here you're just like okay, why are you reacting this way? At all. It doesn't, you know. And then Owen Wilson's doing his own thing because I don't think he was given much direction. So he's just kind of wandering through the movie. Here's the baseball. Throw it around in the exactly. air with your, with your mitt. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, so David, Dr. David Morrow's experiment, it's it's predicated on insomniacs and how the study uh, to, or uh, on the study of how to potentially treat the underlying cause of insomnia. We shortly learn that this is a ruse all along, and the real study is actually to determine the effects of fear on subjects. Fear is a powerful tool. It's fascinating that the power of fear, or what the power of fear has on us. The reason I love horror films is because of the heightened levels of fear that I get from certain movies. Even though Dr. Morrow's methods were unorthodox, did he have a point? And how did you feel about his study overall? What point? I mean, how how could you measure any anything he'd conclude he only had three subjects so it's not like this was a test being concluded across the country with a bunch of different subjects at different allegedly haunted locations and locations that are completely not haunted like there's no control you know yeah you're taking a group of insomniacs and putting them in a creepy house and telling them ghost stories and they're sleep deprived even though let's face it none of those people look like they've had a bad night's sleep in forever i know <laughs> of, of course they're gonna you know of course they're going to be afraid i it's very self-fulfilling prophecy there you know what's what's the hypothesis that it's easy to make people afraid maybe he's taking the approach when you know when you, when you get the hiccups sometimes when people try to scare you to get the hiccups out of you maybe that's his approach <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it, as the professor at the beginning says it's it's unethical and it's also unquantifiable yeah yeah, he doesn't have a control. You're you're right. He doesn't yeah. have other studies going on in the side. He's not accounting for the variables that any any study would 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 have. Um, but my thing with fear in general is, I think it's such a interesting. It's an interesting uh, thing we strive for because I know that a lot of people are like, "Oh, I don't like horror movies," but like down and dirty, like down and deep in, inside of us, we all love to be scared. It's that heightened adrenaline that we have, that fight or flight re response. Mm -hmm. That's why people like going to haunted houses for the Halloween stuff or just Halloween in general. I mean, a lot of people enjoy that fear. And I wonder if that's what 
maybe the the fictional uh, Dr. Morrow was getting at was maybe I can elicit something out of this because of the efficacy of uh, fear, you know, possibly have been a solution to insomnia. I don't know that any of the correlation between insomnia and fear, but I, I can I can kind of understand where maybe he was he was working with it. Um, but it, it honestly seemed like a MacGuffin. And in, in, in yeah, the, it the, was. The whole. So <laughs> it was just that's how I get people in this haunted house, which, oh, no, yeah. is actually haunted. And surprise, one of the women is and also that's that's what's so that weird is that like happenstance yeah <laughs> yeah and that he just so miraculously chose her from the pile of people who applied didn't he Wait. say didn't he say something like she's like oh you called me he's like i didn't call you yeah um, the house called her oh boy <laughs> the house called her that's what the yeah that. oh you can't blame it on the house come on now that's like Horror 101. Don't blame it on the house. The blame house the called people. her and said, do this sleep study. Which is also like, okay, I'm sorry. If this house has been there and there's there's a passage. It's from the book and they use it in the original movie and the Netflix. And it's like the opening passage about the house has stood there for 100 years and probably will for 100 more. If the house has stood there for 100 years and Nell's just been in Boston, why didn't the house call her before? <laughs> exactly. She's been waiting. She's been taking care of her mom. Yeah. It's like, hey, come on over. We got some. We got plenty of rooms. We have like thirty bathrooms. You can take whatever one you want. Yep. And also, like, if her great grandmother was married to this guy, and then she just left. But there's so much. There are records of her being married to this guy. Her their her portrait is everywhere. They literally still have her necklace. It's not like these are lost family stories. They're still in the same state. This isn't like trying to trace your, you know, lost relatives who went to Ellis Island and their names got changed because of racism and things. It's just like, oh, no, your great grandmother lived in a big fancy house, a town over and then left and came to this town. Yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, half an hour away. I went to college in the Massachusetts area and I went to college right near Boston and I went to Concord. It was a pretty short drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it makes no sense. It's definitely, you're, you're absolutely right. And even pre, you know, uh, Google or the infancy era of the internet, she still could have been able to to figure that stuff out probably pretty easily. Um, Google existed yeah. in 99. It was, well, it started in 98. You know what I mean? Like in the sense of it, it didn't necessarily yeah. have the, the, the power it does now. Jeeves. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, his little, his little <laughs> butler thing. Oh man, I miss that. Ask Jeeves. I used to do that for so many reports in high school. And I would like ask him actual questions with question marks. I mentioned that to someone recently um, and he goes, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I go, shit, what year were you born? And he goes, 98. I'm like, oh, you don't know, ask Jeeves. Well, it was this thing before Google. (laughs) Oh, boy. Did you ask him what Napster was? Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't going to. I mean, that was that was later. I wasn't going to hurt him like that. <laughs> or LimeWire. LimeWire. So download a song. It takes an hour to download and you get a virus to boot. So And then you accidentally download the wrong things. Oh, boy. Yeah, I was. Oh, no, I swear to God, it was called the thong song by Cisco, but it also happened to be a porno. So <laughs> my bad. <laughs> yeah, my, my dad once accidentally downloaded an entire German pop album. That's badass. <laughs> was it by David Hasselhoff? <laughs> no, it was uh, Roland Kaiser. That sounds like a, a a dish that I would go get at like a schnitzel joint. 
And that is not what he intended to download. Love it. That's so cool. I think he was trying to download like Led Zeppelin. (laughs) You know, kind of the same thing though. Roland Kaiser, Led Zeppelin. They have the same roots. Yeah, same roots. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Well, okay, so finally, have you ever personally been in a house that you felt, or a condo, or an apartment, whatever, but a place that you've just felt it was haunted to some degree? What happened and where was it? You know, I love the idea of haunted houses, and I try to go to a lot. Um, Whenever I'm in a town, my fiance and I will look up, okay, what's around us? What's the haunted house, the haunted hotel, haunted farm? Let's go. But I've never experienced anything that I could call a haunting or spooky. And I'm I'm very much a, a level-headed, you know, science-based person. So it's never happened. But theoretically, I love the idea. For sure. I definitely, you know, back in the early 2000s, there was that whole ghost hunter phase, you know, where they would do the... <laughs> go in with the, I don't know what they were called. I'm going to call them EKGs. That's not right. But they'd be like, oh, can you see this? This is definitely haunted. And they're filming stuff. They're like, what was that? A shadow moved. And it's all just the the trickery of the camera and and, and yep. the lighting. And it's so stupid. But I mean, even when I was in high school, I'm like, man, these are really dumb. Uh, I've never personally been in a house where I've felt bad juju. I've been in a house where I've kind of felt off, but it didn't stop me from like sleeping there or, you know. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I've been in places where I'm like, there's something that's creepy, yeah. but it's also that I know that I have a very active imagination. So I'm like, <laughs> and and that also it's, I was born and raised in New York City, so I'm used to certain sounds. So if I'm in a place that doesn't have those, where it is a little more isolated, mm-hmm. like I always find my grandparents' house a little creepy. And it's because it's old and because it gets yeah. cold upstairs and because it's quiet. And you hear Amanda. Yeah, exactly. You just hear creaking through the. <laughs> you no, know, yeah, from the attic that you <laughs> yeah. can't even go into because it's a crawl crawl space. Oh, yeah, there you go. You hear scratching all over the walls. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. the The idea of haunted houses are interesting. You know, the only movie that's ever really terrified me um, has been Paranormal Activity. I absolutely loved that movie when it came out, and I just remember getting goosebumps at certain scenes. And so when I went back home that night because I saw a nighttime show and I went back home and I was trying to sleep. I could not sleep for a good 30 minutes because I was just hearing every creak and every bang and anything outside. I would be like, what was that? Yep. Knowing good and well that, you know, ghosts are fake, but this was more of a demon movie. And I was just kind of like, I don't know if I like this. So that's probably <laughs> the only time that maybe a house could feel haunted is if I just got done watching something like that and my mind is so active. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, that you watch one that actually kind of gets under your skin and then you try to go to sleep and it's, well, I'm still thinking about this movie and it's freaking me out. Yeah, exactly. Evocative of uh, what we love so much in the fear. Yep. So, okay, well, those are all the questions I have. Now, this is a fun segment I always like to do. Um, I want to know your hottest takes. So you can defend your hottest, but you got to choose one. And most controversial take on this movie, on movies of this genre, on actors, on whatever that kind of uh, encapsulates this movie. So go ahead and hit me with your best uh, shot. I mean, I've already talked about how I feel about Theo. And that that <laughs> that's really what... Um, and the more I think about it, the more I feel like the character that they wrote for Catherine Zeta-Jones is like out of those like 
lesbian prison exploitation films. That's a yeah. I, I I can't say I've ever seen a lesbian prison exploitation film, but she was. <laughs> that was the most egregious error. I I do believe with the characters. I felt like she could have been a lot more, and it just was weird what they were doing. They were over sexualizing her, and I'm like, but if you're gonna do that, like run with it or 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 figure it out instead of just kind of teasing us and not knowing what you're doing with your characters. Just make it make sense. Yeah. They're just doing it to, and I think it's because. I guess to some degree, maybe they didn't want to just say she's a lesbian. So they wanted to still make her flirt with Owen Wilson and Liam Neeson. So they're like, well, now she's bisexual and is going to (laughs) creepily come on to everybody in this movie. Just because. Yeah, I I enjoy Theo, uh, Katie Siegel in um, The Haunting of Hill House, who's actually married to Mike Flanagan, and she's great. She's in, like, all of his his work. Uh, But she's great as Theo with their whole, you know, she she can't touch people because she can see. She has the ESP. She can see their backstory. And just her character in general goes so back and forth about what she's dealing with, like maybe alcoholism or therapy or uh, trauma and then her sex life. And it's just... She's so fascinating. Like, I, I, I love when she's on screen because she just radiates this, you know, this demeanor that you're like, ooh, what are you going to say next? I'm so intrigued. And I, yeah, I, I no. like Theo character a lot. Her character in the show is amazing. Mm-hmm. She is. She's fantastic. And that's much more the spirit of the the book's character yeah. in that the sense, you know, yes, she's a gay woman, but that's not that's not her trauma and that's not her defining anything. It's just a facet. Exactly. In in this, I I bet the character breakdown went out bisexual vamp. Because <laughs> I couldn't. That's it. That's that was her character. Yeah. Sounds like a spirit Halloween costume. Bisexual <laughs> vamp. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's what I should be for Halloween. That'd be a dope costume. I wonder what that would entail. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't work for spirit Halloween. Ooh, there you go. Elvira it would be like, like... off brand. She's she's you know. She's a She's goddess. Sexually fluid. Oh yeah, absolutely. So that She's yeah, super that's, iconic. Uh huh. Love her. Yeah, that would be I it. That it. It, it would be off-brand Elvira, bisexual vamp. <laughs> I love it. Um, I would <laughs> say that my my hot take. Um, so we talked about movies from '99. '99 was a, an amazing year for film. Uh, the Fight Club and The Matrix, to name a few. The Big Lebowski, same thing. So I, I would definitely say '99 had some of the best films. And it's a bummer that this movie. Uh, missed the mark completely and a lot of that is because of the cgi like we've been talking about and i think to this day i am a a truest of of this but practical effects will always beat cgi um especially for the horror genre so things like movies like the thing that came out in 82 alien came out in 79 the fly uh american werewolf in london that was made in the 70s evil dead all of those movies use practical effects oh, to such so an gross. amazing. Yeah, it's it, they're disgusting. It's Cronenberg, skin you know, crawling, yeah, exactly. And and you know, one of my favorite movies of all time is is The Thing. And Rob Bottin did the practical effects for that movie, and he famously put himself in the hospital because he worked so hard, tires tirelessly, countless hours on perfecting these practical effects. And it is so grotesque and terrifying and amazing and everything um so if the haunting 99 could have used this and 
focused more on practical effects for scare tactics, I think it could have went way further, even though they missed the mark on a lot of other things like the cat. Well, not the casting, but the direction, the actors and so on and so forth. I completely agree. Had they really relied on practical effects and music, the score is really generic when it could be haunting and creepy. Yeah. You know, it feels like something I could could have gotten, you know, off of like Pond 5. (laughs) <laughs> Which isn't what it should yeah. feel like, you know. Yeah. Had they relied on practical effects, shadow and set design, then it really, even though I think the plot changes they made don't work, it still would have gotten under your skin in a way. And and you know, speaking of the Netflix show, that's not that does not rely heavy on all the CGI. It's a lot of. It's a lot of camera angles and, and tricks of the camera that they're doing and, mm-hmm. you know, technical prowess, but not CGI. Absolutely. Yep. You, you're on the same page. So, yeah, it's, um you know, it can be done. We've seen it done. And I actually would really like a remake of this movie, another one, but done in a way that's true to the novel, um, true to the original mm-hmm. films. And uh, and a lot, a hell of a lot scarier. That would be. I'm I'm on board <laughs> if they if they could do that. I think they need to redeem themselves. So, what are your final thoughts about this movie? And what's your letter grade? If you have any final thoughts, um, and then what is your letter grade? Final thoughts: Watch the original in, instead if you want to watch something that's good. If you want to laugh, do this. It's too long, so it definitely could have picked up the pace. Maybe watch it at you know one and a quarter speed. Um, letter grade D. Ooh, yeah, that's rough. Um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. This is a, this is a D, a D or D minus for me. It's barely, barely passing. And the only reason why I think it would be passing is just because there were moments that I, I was, I was okay with. I mean, the production design was great. I actually liked the sound. Jerry Goldsmith composed it. He did like the mummy Mulan total recall and uh, all the Rambo movies, but you're right. It wasn't, it wasn't very terrifying. It, it felt out of place at moments. And I was like, it was, oh, that was, big. It was too big. Yeah, it was, it was very grand. It was like big and orchestral and like, I'm in a ball, but I'm in a haunted house movie. <laughs> I'm not in a ball. I'm in a haunted house movie. Yeah, I want like ooky spooky. Ooh, I do like ooky spooky. So <laughs> the 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 haunting the 1963 version is available to stream on Watch TCM. So Turner Classic Movies. Apparently, they have Ooh. a streaming app. I did not know that. Um, yes, and they the, do. The house and that, on- is oh, it ahead, on sorry. HBO as well? Because a lot of the Turner Classic Movies go to HBO. It doesn't say that it is, but it might be. Um, I'm using justwatch.com, which is pretty accurate, but it has been known to um, mess up every once in a while. So I do believe that it could be on HBO Max. Like, you're absolutely right. Um, And then the the House on Haunted Hill, the Vincent Price one, that is um, available on Prime, it says right now. Epics, uh, AMC+. Plus. Voodoo with ads, Hoopla, Tubi, Canopy. It's available ever. Jesus. Shudder is, is another great one if you have Shudder. But that movie is everywhere. So, I mean, I can jump on that so right now if good. I want. You should 74%. watch it. It's so good. Okay. Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, I like Vincent Price and he's, you know, master. So. Mm-hmm. Who it. doesn't? I, I love doing the uh, the Vincent Price Gene Tierney movies. Mm. <laughs> like uh, uh, Dragon Wick. Down. Yeah, 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 for sure. So what movies uh, are you excited for or what should I be watching now? Give me one or two recommendations. 
Okay, well, I, I mentioned it earlier, but I just watched Fresh on Hulu. Absolutely loved it. Um, it was it was whip smart. It was just it was so funny. It was so creepy. It was everything that I wanted it to be. You know, it it didn't do. There were a couple of times where I thought, oh, this is the cliched thing that they're going to do next, and they did not do that. So I was very happy. Good. Yeah, there were, and I'm I'm trying not to spoil anything about it, and just say watch it. I was so into it. Cool. <laughs> um, and then watch watch 1958's The House on Haunted Hill because it's so goddamn good. Cool. I've Deal. seen it I, so yeah. many times. So um, on your Instagram, I, I've been uh, noticing your stories where you're watching uh, one a day. That's also what I do in October. So I'm definitely going to have to add that on there um, instead of something that I've seen before. So <laughs> we try to do uh, a movie that at least one of us hasn't seen before. Love it. Yeah. That's, and there's so much great horror out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like Netflix and Canopy really showcase international horror, which I recommend to everybody, especially Korean or Japanese horror, because they constantly push the envelope and they know what to do. Um, European horror is getting is getting way better and it's real creepy. So uh, check those things out on Shudder, Canopy, um, all those Netflix, all those streaming apps. I absolutely love it. So, but before, before we leave though, I would like to talk about your film, Perfectly Good Moment. We started talking about it at the (laughs) the top of the show and I want to come back to it. So it's directed by my friend, Lauren Greenhall, and uh, you are the uh, star and the writer and the producer and everything, right? Um, But absolutely love Lauren. That's how she put us in touch. I want you to tell me about the movie though. What's it like? What were your influences uh, whilst writing the screenplay? And then like when and where can we expect it? Because I saw the trailer when it, when Lauren was first uh, pushing it to people and I watched it again today and I'm like, come on, I want to see it. Damn it. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll get into our first festival soon. Um, and then from there, more festivals, hopefully uh, we really just finished post. Um, but the trailer is out. It's an erotic thriller about a, a young woman who returns to her, significantly older on again off again fiance uh for revenge so i uh the biggest influences i'd say were things like uh when we were shopping it around and looking for a director i was describing it as uh last tango in paris meets hard candy Mm. yeah and now we're kind of going with you know black mirror-esque nine and a half weeks I'm getting the Black Mirror <laughs> vibes for sure. I can I can, yep. I can totally see that where, um, you know, it really is a sizzle trailer where it's showing these these uh, brief moments. You're like, wait a minute, what's that glove doing there? And then you're like, wait, <laughs> wait, what? I feel like the movie's gonna zig when you think it's gonna zag, and and that's what's cool about it is I'm one for for trying to go in blind to to certain movies and just being completely uh, blown away. So I I feel that this film will be like that. Yeah, we kind we we do jump between a couple of different time periods, so we don't go uh, linearly. It's a two character, and I was thinking a lot when I was writing it. How do you keep a two character, almost one location, visually and emotionally interesting? Well, you have to do things with the story. Yeah, absolutely. You need good characters first too, and your actors need to. And uh, let me not shoot myself in the foot here, hopefully, but your actors need to have good chemistry. <laughs> um, but yeah, you you need an interesting story. It shouldn't just feel like 
this could have been just a play in a living room. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I definitely got, you know, Mulholland Drive, Basic Instinct, Fatal Attraction, like those kinds of vibes for for, yep. for sure. Um, the, the score is cool. Uh, it's, it oh, looks risque and all sexual and all dangerous. So I'm like, ooh, yep. I'm here. So, yeah, we yeah. we did the whole work with an intimacy coordinator thing because it it is it's an erotic thriller. There's a lot of sexual content that is not just random sex scenes, but that's actually integral to the plot where there are big plot developments going on during the sex scenes. Mm-hmm. So they need to to feel not only correct, but it it needed to be something easy for me and Steven to perform. Love it. Yeah, no, very excited. Uh, Congratulations. Um, Can't wait to check it out. And uh, I implore everyone else to check it out. But Amanda, where can we find you on the social medias? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle for both places is Amanda Jane Stern. Um, I am also, I mean, you can look at my IMDb and my LinkedIn if you go on LinkedIn. Oh, so casual. (laughs) My IMDb, no worries. You can find it. I don't know why I just said that. That was great. No, who cares? Instagram and Twitter, uh, at Amanda Jane Stern. Um, I think I have a page on Facebook still. I don't really use it, but (laughs) Instagram and Twitter are the main two. And you'll pr- you probably have a fan club page soon. Somebody's going to probably need a vice president, so I might reach out to them. Who knows, right? We'll make T-shirts. We'll make Dakota rings. It'll be awesome. So, well, <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, but Amanda, thank you so much for being on the show. This was such a blast. Um, you're welcome back anytime you you ever want to talk about any movie. Uh, oh, I, so yeah. many movies. I would love to. If you want to like shit on some of the worst movies I've ever seen, that I just need someone else to watch so I can talk about. Yeah, it's, I have um, suggestions. Oh yeah, Tubi is great for that. It's one of my one of my other favorite uh, pastimes is just watching a terrible movie like a Samurai Cop or a Hard Ticket oh. to Hawaii and oh, then no, just no, shitting no. all over seen, it. Have you ever seen My Father the Hero? No. Oh, I don't know oh, what it's about. Oh, it's it's the whew, worst thing I've ever seen. Oof. It gives me nightmares. It's so bad. <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, 94 it looks like. Okay. Um, the, the the cover looks terrible, so mm-hmm. I don't know if I could do that. Steve Miner did it. I can only describe it as if someone read Lolita and thought, you know what would make this better? If he were actually her father and this were a rom-com. Oh, boy. That's <laughs> uh, you might have went in the wrong direction with that. Gerard Depardieu, mm-hmm. he's pretty good. And Catherine Heigl, uh-oh. <laughs> yep. When she okay. was 14. Oh, boy. Yeah. No, thanks. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) It's so bad. Or uh, there's this erotic thriller with Bruce Willis called Color of Night. You were telling me about that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's so misguided. It's so bad. Well, yeah, I'll have to get you back and we'll have to we'll have to do one or we can branch off and start our own bad movie podcast. The the world is our oyster. So many. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I love bad movies. I really do. So I love some some things that are like considered bad, I think are amazing. I love Roadhouse. I I know I I mentioned it to you, but I legitimately love Roadhouse and I will defend it. It's the best movie about a bouncer at a bar ever (laughs) that rips people's throats out ever. That's true. Hey, but that they they actually like that's a callback. They they like they follow through on that. You don't expect them to follow through on that random one liner. 
That's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's very John Wick-esque. <laughs> so good. Yeah, well, thank you again. Uh, it's been a blast. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at dbcrazypod and at zachdale60, where you can share your thoughts with us, give us film suggestions, tell us we're crazy, or just send some funny memes, because I love memes. I laugh at them all the time. Make sure you also subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. And if you like it, leave us a five-star review. If you don't, please leave us whatever review you want. I love having feedback. It's how I can get better. Additionally, we are also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, don't be crazy.